Welcome. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Good morning and welcome. I'm Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach at Ellen Becker Investment Group and host of Milwaukee's philanthropic community, which is brought to you by EIG. We've been doing this outreach program for almost two years now, which is really hard to believe how time just zips on by. And I've had the great pleasure of meeting some really outstanding people who are doing great things in our community. We invite nonprofit organizations to be guests on our show so they can educate, inform, share with us a service they provide. Maybe it's a cause they support or a passion they have that has the potential to make a big difference in our community and oftentimes beyond. If you're a nonprofit, 501c3, looking to expand your awareness and your impact, reach out to me and we can talk. Today we're going to learn about two diseases that are very different but have very similar symptoms. The two we're going to talk about today both affect your muscles and your ability to move your body. They both attack your brain and spinal cord and both cause scarring or hardening around nerve cells. But one is an autoimmune disease that causes the body to attack itself and the other is a nervous system disorder that wears away nerve cells in the brain. There is no known cure at this time for either condition. The two diseases we'll be learning more about today are MS and ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. My first guests today are Rob Malterer, Senior Director at the National Multiple Sclerosis Society, and Sarah Wong, who is a board trustee and who has actually been living with MS for about 20 years now. So welcome to the show today, Rob and Sarah. Thank you for having us. Thank you. We're glad that you're here. My understanding is that MS is not a fatal disease, but that it affects nearly 1 million people in the United States and some with very devastating effects. Sarah, can you start by telling us your story? Yes. Um, as you mentioned before, I was diagnosed with MS 20 years ago. I started out by having symptoms, um, first blurry vision, and then probably about 10 months to a year later, I started having numbness and tingling. started in my feet and then ascended all the way up to uh, my jawline. And as you mentioned, th- I mean, those symptoms are neurological. They deal with the brain. And you mentioned before that it is a disease that affects the central nervous system, the brain and the spinal cord. Um, What happens in MS is the immune system attacks the myelin, which is an insulation or a coating around your nerve cells, and that can leave um, scarring on those nerve cells. It can also just be wearing away the myelin and leave it open and uninsulated, and that disrupts the communication within the brain and between the brain and the body, causing symptoms like blurry vision, numbness and tingling, as I described before, but also things as severe as paralysis, blindness, and it really impacts people's ability to move. Mm. Um, There are a lot of treatments for MS that are there to help prevent progression of the disease. Most people, um, like myself, start out with a relapsing, remitting course of MS, And what that means is that you have some kind of an attack where you suffer a symptom, but then you remit from that attack and you either recover partially or fully from that attack. And sometimes you can go years between attacks. Um, And some people never progress. Some people have an attack and get better, have an attack and get better, but never overall, have an overall progression of the disease. 
um, there are two types of progressive MS. One is called primary progressive, which means that the um, MS is progressive from the onset of the disease. And secondary progressive, which is what I have, people who've had relapsing remitting MS for a number of years. And then without having any new attacks, their symptoms start to progress. Um, It's that particular course is really hard to diagnose because they don't know exactly why it happens. Um, But now I haven't had um, a a new attack in probably eight years because the medication that I was on was really working well. Wonderful. But my symptoms have progressed. So attacks that I had many years ago, I'm now seeing those symptoms creep up slowly and get worse over time. Okay. And you were diagnosed over 20 years ago. Yes. Okay. So when I used to be a dancer and did triathlons and was extremely active, now I'm very limited in a lot of that type of mobility, particularly because I have symptoms that impact my walking gait, my balance, um, general stability. And so I can walk but I don't walk as well as I used to, and I have to use mobility aids often, either a cane, a walker, or I have a power scooter for, like, long distances and travel and okay. things like that. Well, given the fact that you are an athlete, could some kind of injury kind of bring on the disease? So th- there isn't anything, I don't think, proven in the research with that. There has been some research that shows that having a virus or... Um, having a fever of some kind can bring on an attack because it's inflammation and that can spur on um, symptoms. Um, Heat, um, even for some people, cold can can bring on symptoms. Um, It really depends on the person. That's one of the tricky things about MS is that you will not find two people with the exact same symptoms. Mm, And so for doctors, it's really hard to say, oh, well, we can compare patients, that's really hard to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a couple of workout groups that I'm with with other people that have MS so that we can continue to move and exercise and be healthy. And I can't name one of them that has the same set of symptoms that I have. Wow. So let's say you go to a neurologist and you get a baseline scan. You know, I don't know if that's even the right terminology, but you get like a starting point because they oftentimes say, they have to have something to compare to. So, you know, maybe that's a way for someone who is feeling symptomatic or experiencing some of the things that you talk about to go in and have an initial baseline, you know, neurology appointment, and then years down the road, go back and see if there's any change. I think it depends on how how your MS symptoms present. So MRI is the number one diagnostic tool for diagnosing MS. Okay. Um, what you'll see is um, they, they call it plaque, or I don't know if they call it white matter, but um, where on a scan you'll see sort of the gray, like the, the scan will look gray, but you might see little white spots where there's scar tissue on okay. the brain where the myelin has been attacked, where those nerve cells have been attacked. Um, and that would then have a radiologist say, okay, well, that person has MS. Now, if you're looking at changing medications, if you're looking, if you think you're having an attack, um, if you're progressing, they would do then another MRI to see if there's been any change. Okay. Okay. But the trick is that 
There's no consistency there. You can have an attack with no change in the scan, mm. and you can have no symptoms with changes in the scan. Oh, goodness. So it's very unpredictable. And difficult and to diagnose. Difficult to diagnose yeah. and difficult to monitor. Rob, what's your story? I mean, how do you have a loved one that is living with MS, or how, how did you get involved with the MS Society? Prior to working for the Society, no connection whatsoever. Knew a little bit of the disease, maybe knew a few people, but you know, I was just a, a guy trying to do something good. And as I became more into this organization and working with people, I just, my why became the people that I worked for and those that, mm -hmm. that love them and care for them. So it's, it's a disease that's so confusing, so interesting. And so, you know, you're almost motivated too to end this thing or find a way to end the thing. So I didn't have a connection, didn't know a person, no one in my family, but now there's thousands of people, literally thousands I've been able to meet through this job to, um, to one day find a cure for them. Yeah. Now we said almost 1 million nationwide are suffering yep. from MS. What about in Wisconsin alone? Yeah. So Wisconsin has one of the highest prevalence rates in the entire country. So yeah, so we're, um, we're why is that? up there. Well, as Sarah said before, there's no known cause why there is somebody gets MS or somebody's diagnosed. There's two factors that we've seen or that a part of it is vitamin D it, deficiency. Oh, okay. So we don't see a lot of sun, do we right. here in Wisconsin? So mm -hmm. that's a factor. Plus it's weird, but it's a, it started as what a Norwegian Eastern or Western European, Northern European disease. So we've got a lot of folks that are descendants of oh, Norwegians okay. and Dutch and that town. In fact, we found one research found connections between MS and the Vikings. Really? So not the football team, which we okay. never would associate yeah, 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 yeah. with, right, Sarah? <laughs> but the, the Vikings, you know, Leif Erikson and those guys that set out to conquer the world. So in Wisconsin, we have nearly 20,000 people that we know of that have this disease. So wow. based on our population, we're about one in 500 that have this disease, which is just crazy, but it's just where we sit geographically and, and what makes up our DNA as well. Wow. Well, we're going to take a quick break, but when we return, we're going to learn more about what the National MS Society does for people like Sarah and others. We'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jill Economo, and I'm talking with Rob Malterra from the National MS Society and Sarah Wong. Uh, who has been living with MS after being diagnosed about 20 years ago. So we said earlier that uh, there is no known cure, um, but there are effective treatments for symptoms. So does the MS Society help with that? We do. We do. And, and one of the biggest ways we help with is finding and fueling research. So, you know, it's our goal one day to end this disease. It's not coming in the next few years. We don't have a timeline when that would be. So our goal is to help somebody living with MS live their best possible life. So that is with therapies. That is, you know, taking part in clinical trials. That's giving them services and support that they may not have had before. So Sarah, when Sarah was diagnosed, we had no therapies. There was really nothing out there. There was three of them. So now we've got 17 to 18 that have come through the pipeline. Okay. And a lot of that is because of the work the MS Society has done to, you know, fuel research, to find people that want to get interested in this, um, in this work, but then also by raising a substantial amount of money too, to fuel this work that we do. The, and, and certain treatments that you particularly like to speak about? Well, when I was diagnosed, there were only three treatments and they were all injectable. Now there are oral medications available as well as infusions, which allows people to not have to um, stick themselves um, 
you know, three times a week or for some every day or once a week, depending on the treatment. So I've been on an injectable, I've been on an oral medication, and now I'm on the latest medication, which was the first one out for uh, progressive MS. And that is an infusion. And I just started that uh, a couple months ago. And that's only what? A few years old. Brand new. It would just, I think it was... 2017 that that was rolled out to market and it's a lot different it's been a game changer in the world of ms and people living with it where sarah you don't have to take as many infusions as you may have had before with another disease or swallowing something or injecting something yeah so my when i was on injectable medication it was three times a week oral was every day and infusions are twice a year okay what about other modalities something like um chiropractors or massage does that help at all with with would you consider that part of a treatment plan or maybe just something to help you deal with the discomfort of the disease so i would put those kind of treatments in the category of holistic or functional medicine and i do think that those therapies do work for certain people okay Um, I just think it depends on how your body and mind respond to those kind of treatments. Some people use chiropractors, acupuncture, massage, um, exercise, and diet. Um, Probably not unlike any disease, right? right. I mean, certain things work with certain people and others don't. You want to trial and error too, right? Right. What works for you might not work for your friend down the road that also has a disease. As Sarah said, it's a very confusing, interesting, and I call it, it's like a snowflake. It's not the same to any two people at any certain time. So massage could be great for some, could be really irritating to others, how it could work. So it's trial and error. Reflexologists, I think people use as well. It's just crazy the amount of things people have used to to get by to live their best life. Well, well, what what else does the National MS Society do for people living with MS? So we already talked about our we do our three pillars, which is research, obviously finding a way to cure this disease, talking to as many people as we can to learn about it and way to find a cure. Advocacy. So that means that's we get into some politics. You know, we go and we go on Capitol Hill and we talk to senators and congresspeople why it's important to support these because people living in your district are affected by this. And then events, which are usually associated with fundraising. So those are three ways that we work towards finding a cure, but it's been able to fuel some really neat things. We have a program called the MS Navigators, where you live rural, you live in urban market, you can give a call to a number and you get a live person on the phone that will help you out to the best of their ability to give you support and resources that you need. And, and it's pretty groundbreaking. One of the few diseases in the country, if maybe the only, that has it is has a, a hotline for folks with MS to call. And what is that number? Just we throw that out there for people. Oh, Jill, I knew you put it out there. <laughs> NationalMSSociety.org is the best place to go because we okay. actually have an online feature that you can chat right with an MS navigator as well. Oh, say that again. MS. MS. NationalMSSociety.org. All spelled out? All spelled out. National, National MS. MS. Not, I put them in the multiple sclerosis, but NationalMSSociety.org. I pulled it off my phone earlier, and the first thing that comes up is chat with an MS navigator. So we're okay. providing some real functionality and using the technology that we have to give the same support and resources to everybody around the country. Wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. So what are, what opportunities do you have here in Wisconsin for people to learn more about the society or to get involved in some way? Sure. So a website is obviously a great resource to things that are out there. We have programs and events throughout the year, whether it's you want to understand how to 
work with your spouse on coping with the disease. We've got some symposiums on research where people can find out new information. As we said, there's some some researchers and some local doctors that do um, clinical studies. There's one in our area that does a ballroom dance just to understand gait and movement in ballroom dancing. There is always chances just to raise your awareness, going online to our website, attending an event, fundraising for an event, supporting someone, making a donation, just learning as much about the disease as you can. But if it's important to you, you know, we hope we can find a spot for you here in Wisconsin. And we have things throughout the year. So if there's somebody that's interested, interested or impacted by the disease, there's really no excuse not to take part in something. Sure. And, and again, educate yourself because that's where it all starts, right? We had talked, uh, I've done a number of shows uh, with organizations that provide services for certain physical or mental um, issues, and we talk a lot about caregivers and how sometimes that's kind of forgotten, you know, about the person that has to care for the individual that's living with a particular disease or uh, mental illness. And so you're saying you do have services for the caregivers. I think that's wonderful. Yes. If there's information, there's resources, there is even support groups that help out these groups. Yeah. And I personally like to call them resource groups because <laughs> I feel like support groups gets kind of a, a bad reputation for okay. being groups of people that just sit around and complain about how bad they feel. And commiserate with each other. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Um, but there are actually a lot of active resource groups um, in town um, that are trying to be positive about living with this disease. Um, two of them are um, uh, stronger than MS and the just keep group. and just keep moving MS, which are two exercise groups. Oh, okay. And for the most part, they're self-guided, but there are volunteers there that help people with real mobility challenges um, to get on a bike and start moving to... Um, Jump on a trampoline. They'll put someone who's paralyzed in a harness and get their feet bouncing on a trampoline. It acts, activates those muscles. And anything that we can do to activate those muscles is going to help us and help us stay as mobile as we can for as long as we can. So is it possibly similar to uh, somebody suffering from arthritis that movement is the more movement, the better, you know, to just get moving because you can't get back that uh, the the word you use myelin or my, my uh, there you can't get that back it's gone right you can't so, get that back naturally I know that there's some research on repairing the myelin it. Um, okay. myelin that's it yeah yeah which is you know down the pipeline but no right now there isn't what there is is um, something called neuroplasticity and it's your brain's ability to kind of find new pathways to do the okay. things that it can't do anymore and by exercising and using the muscles, the brain can relearn how to move. Um, and that impacts people differently. For some people, they see dramatic changes when they do exercise. For some people, it's more incremental. Okay. But there is research out there that moving can teach the brain to figure it out. And it's pretty neat too. I know. I, and thanks, Sarah, for correcting me on my terminology. I think I'm going to use research groups a little bit more. What <laughs> Res resource resource groups. groups, but it creates a a network of community. I think that's the cool thing that we see. It's these people that are in it together, maybe at different stages in the disease. I've seen these groups work out together and hang out and you formed a pretty cool community and just group that's out there. So, and also you can't underscore just the power of someone's mind. You, know, you have to want 
to get better. Oh, There's some sure. folks that just want to sit back and let the disease run its course. We don't suggest that, but yeah. it's up to each individual person how to do that. Back 25 years ago, 30 years ago, that's what doctors said. Well, there's nothing really there for you, so just stay at home, and we'll see what happens. And you know, and they actually discouraged exercise yeah. because heat can affect people's symptoms, and they thought, oh, if you exercise, you get hot. That's going to make it worse. Well, it makes your symptoms worse in the moment, but it doesn't make your disease worse. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, well, you talked about uh, sense of community, and, and we love that idea because that's what we're all about. And we love to see nonprofits collaborating for the common good. Do you work with any other organizations relative to advocacy, education, or maybe events? Yeah, so we'll work with um, a wide array of people that are out there, or groups that are out there. In fact, we just a couple of years ago thought there was about 400, 450,000 people living in the United States with MS. You said the number earlier, it's nearly a million. It's exactly 940,000. And we didn't know those people were out there because there's no national registry, national Mm -hmm. disease registry. So we partnered with Parkinson's and ALS and other groups to create this registry where people can then, doctors can say that, yes, I have someone that just was diagnosed. They go on this list and then we know. So there's power in numbers. There's power in strength knowing those out there. In fact, our tagline is stronger together. And we really feel that's the case. And if it's helping us work with another nonprofit or another disease-centered organization to get better, we will. There's many um, multiple sclerosis organizations out there. And, you know, we'll work with those from time to time, including our friends up north in Canada. We work a lot with uh, with them on different pieces. So it's pretty okay. neat to see that collaboration. We all want the same thing, just people right. live better lives. Absolutely. Well, as I often say, there's never enough time to get everything out there, but hopefully we planted a seed hopefully. with individuals who yeah. want to learn more about MS or suspect that they may be having some symptoms uh, regarding that. So you had mentioned that people can reach out to nationalmssociety.org yes, uh, for further information. What about contact information, telephone numbers, uh, phone numbers? I mean, can people reach out to you, Facebook page, or is it just best to do nationalmssociety.org? Website is a great resource. It's a great starting point. As we mentioned, there's an MS Navigator you can chat with. They can hook you up with even more resources. But we're on social media channels, Instagram, Facebook, okay. Twitter as well. Just a great way to stay updated with information, see what's out there as well. And um, But you know, hitting up that website is a great first spot. And you have a local office here in Wisconsin as well. It's always more than happy to, um, to help you out. So giving a call is not a problem by any means. All right. Well, thank you very much, Rob and Sarah, for being here today and sharing your stories and how you're impacting people. Thank you. for having us. You are welcome. Although MS can be a very difficult disease to live with, it isn't considered a fatal disease. Thank God, right? Uh, Statistics show that ALS affects far fewer individuals than MS, about 30,000 compared to nearly a million with MS. But once you're diagnosed with ALS, you're given an average of two to five years life expectancy. Stay tuned to hear from a man who plays a major role in ALS advocacy after losing his wife to the disease. And then we'll also hear from a teacher and a coach from northern Wisconsin who has actually beaten the odds for more than nine years now. Stay tuned and we'll be right back. You're listening to EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo. Although MS affects quite a large number of people nationally, we learned in the prior segment about one million individuals, it's not considered a fatal disease. ALS affects a smaller population of people, about 30,000, but unfortunately it has a life average life expectancy of two to five years. 
We have the privilege today to have with us two men with very different stories, uh, one who lost his wife to the disease and one who has beaten the odds and is still around to talk to us today after being diagnosed over nine years ago. I'd like to welcome to the studio Tom Kettler, immediate past president of the board of directors at the ALS Association Wisconsin chapter, and John Jaco, volunteer for the ALS Association and living with the disease for over nine years now. Um, Tom, you unfortunately lost your wife, Suzanne, to this horrible disease. Um, First of all, I'd like to say I'm sorry, and I'm sure it was a very difficult time uh, for you, but can can you share with us what what happened? Yes, thank you, Jill. It's a it's a pleasure to be here, and thank you for having us today to tell the story about ALS so that we can share what this disease is and what it does. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife Sue and I had been married about thirty five years, and um, we've uh, were very active as uh, you know at that age, of course, uh, doing very very many different activities, raising our children. And um, and just getting along with life as uh, as everyone actually plans to do. All of a sudden, we noticed that she was having a little difficulty in forming her words. Her sentences got a little bit shorter, and uh, so we we were kind of puzzled by that. And we also noticed that if we go out for a walk or do something physical, she started to become very tired very easily. And uh, as that, those symptoms progressed, uh, we started, of course, going to the doctor to find out if they could pinpoint it. We went to various uh, physicians and uh, neurologists, and they eventually ended up doing uh, all kinds of different tests. Nothing was definitive, uh, and it, finally they suggested that we go to uh, Mayo Clinic in Rochester, and it's there that they definitely uh, diagnosed Sue as having ALS. And uh, that is uh, kind of the natural progression of this disease. There's no definitive diagnosis for it. It's sort of what's left after everything else has been eliminated. So you understand what it isn't before you can identify what it is. That's correct. That's correct. And uh, so in that respect, it's really difficult because you're suffering the symptoms and actually you have the disease and don't know it for a considerable amount of time where you're going through the diagnostic process. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, after uh, her diagnosis, of course, that was the longest ride that we had ever taken from Rochester back to, back to southeastern Wisconsin. I imagine, yeah. So uh, that's, the, that's kind of the, the normal uh, for this disease. Unfortunately, as I said, there is no definitive diagnosis, and uh, so you have to go through a process of elimination. Okay, wow. Well, Tom, you um, you went through a lot uh, with your, your wife, Suzanne, and she has her story um, that is different than, than John's, and uh, we had talked about with MS, uh, Sarah and, and Rob were talking about how everybody has a different story. You know, that everybody is affected differently, and it's hard to put symptoms in a box, if you will. I mean, you can, like you said, you you try and eliminate, you go through that process of elimination until you can come up with what it actually is. Um, John, you are considered one of the lucky ones or the blessed ones, as I prefer to say. Absolutely. Yeah, who has beaten the odds. Can can you share your story with us? Uh, yeah, I, I grew up in, uh, in Wisconsin, uh, went to high school at a small town in central Wisconsin, Stratford, and 
uh, went to college at Madison and got my very first teaching job uh, in the Hayward area. And so I lived in Hayward for 35 years. Uh, I was very active there, uh, enjoying all the stuff that the Northwoods offered. And you were you know, a teacher and a coach, right? I was right? a teacher and football a coach, coach there, yep. Yeah. Uh, so uh, eventually I was a football coach. I started out as a track coach at, at one school and, and eventually ended my career as a football coach at, at Hayward. But um, I, my life in Hayward was absolutely, I, I moved up there for the job and fell in love with the area. Uh, was very active, hunted, fished, um, ran in races. I completed uh, three full marathons. I've skied 17 Berkebiner, complete Berkebiner. So I was a very active person. And um, late in the last Berkebiner I did in 2009, I noticed some unique cramping, cramping in places that I hadn't experienced cramping before. And I, I was in my early 50s. And so I'm like, wow, maybe this is what 50 is like. So I kind of ignored them. And then um, I, I noticed uh, that I had some muscle atrophy on my right shoulder, which didn't surprise me at first because it was an old uh, injury from high school sports. And maybe, again, this is what 50 is like. Um, my, my journey was a little bit accelerated. I ended up seeing a neurologist sooner than most people did because uh, in the fall of 2009, I had a subarachnoid hemorrhage, a brain uh, brain hemorrhage, mm -hmm. and was treated in the hospital in Minneapolis. Got to ride the helicopter from Hayward to Minneapolis. Uh, and so I got released from that. They found no real cause for my brain bleed, but these symptoms kept cropping up. And uh, so I was seeing a neurologist, and he was concerned. And by July of 2010, he came out after doing some tests, and he said, uh, I'm afraid you have ALS. You should probably go home and get your affairs in order oh because most people don't live, you know, more than more than three years. And as Tom said, it was a long ride home from Duluth to Hayward that day. Um, I, that diagnosis was confirmed then for me in uh, in a, a clinic in Minneapolis uh, on Friday the 13th of, of August of 2010. Mm. My life uh, changed rapidly. I was uh, ready to put my poopy pants on and do nothing and sit on my couch and, and die. Um, but my wife challenged me uh, early on. She was, of course, not, not willing to live with someone who was just going to pout. Um, so she was very good for me. Uh, one of the things she said to me was, why would you worry today about what your tomorrow is going to look like? Mm -hmm. Because every time I would go to a clinic or a meeting, I would see people who were more progressed than I was. Yeah. And so I would see, unfortunately, my future. Um, but a wise woman, A right? very wise woman. Yeah. And uh, not a woman to be underestimated. She's very powerful also. So we were invited then in 2013 by the Wisconsin ALS Association to go to Washington, D.C. for their uh, annual advocacy uh, festival out there. And so... I was, I, we came home and we said, gee, we really need to do more. We saw people who had traveled cross-country in wheelchairs and handicapped vans to be part of this. And we're like, you know, my, my progression is not that great. I need to do more. I've been given some extra time. So I, I, I want to do more with that time. And so uh, my wife Deanna and I have gradually and uh, 
uh, integrated into the advocacy and fundraising part of of this disease because I'm pretty fortunate yeah. uh, in a lot of ways. My progression is slow. I can still still speak. Uh, many people, their first symptoms are the loss of their voice. Yeah. So as long as I still have a voice to use, I want to keep using it. Wonderful. That's that that part of your story is is wonderful. And again, I think you're a. Uh, uh, a, a nice message to people. Well, thanks. You know, and that, th- thanks for letting me tell my story. This is a great yeah. platform. Yeah, absolutely. Well, how does the ALS Association Wisconsin chapter serve Wisconsin friends and fam- families that are afflicted with ALS? Well, when uh, Sue was first diagnosed, uh, she, you know, we had uh, absolutely no idea what to do next. Uh, you're, you know, that's deer in the headlights time. Yeah. And uh, we were put in touch with the care services director of the ALS Association Wisconsin chapter who came out and literally put her arms around us and ins- gave us instruction on what to do, how to get, uh, how to proceed, and put us in touch with the ALS clinic at Freighter Hospital. And um, so, you know, from there, uh, we just, uh, we we were so thankful to have the association as a resource to guide us through this disease and and help us through the journey. Mm -hmm. So uh, Sue progressed uh, rather rapidly, and she uh, unfortunately passed away after uh, about five years from her diagnosis. And... um, so we were, during that uh, five-year period, we were uh, taking advantage of support groups that were offered by the ALS Association Wisconsin chapter. We were uh, taken care of by the certified ALS clinic at uh, Freighter Hospital. Uh, we had uh, the benefit of uh, uh, loan locker supplies. We could have uh, wheelchairs temporarily or hospital well, that's beds. Nice. That's uh, good to know. That's yes. a resource definitely worth exactly. sharing. Exactly. And uh, so the association has uh, loan lockers that are located throughout the state so that we can deliver needed uh, equipment to various patients who need it uh, all throughout the state of Wisconsin. That's wonderful. So so there are many, many services that the association offered, and those are just a few. Okay. Well, uh, the ALS Association in Wisconsin chapter have something called a three-legged stool description of services that they provide. Stay tuned to learn more about that after we come back. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, brought to you by the Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach for Ellen Becker, and I'm talking with Tom Kettler from the ALS Association Wisconsin Chapter and John Jaco, ALS volunteer and teacher, coach, survivor extraordinaire, right? Yeah, many hats. <laughs> so what is this three-legged stool of services that the ALS Association and Wisconsin Chapter provide? Well... Like many uh, organizations that are medically centered, we have various focuses to um, not only serve our patients, our folks who are serving or who are living with ALS, but we also do uh, advocacy, as John mentioned a little bit ago, uh, through uh, going to Washington, talking with our representatives and advocating for various pieces of legislation that will be beneficial to our ALS uh, 
patients. And you've done quite a bit of that, I understand, right? Yes, I have. <laughs> and uh, in fact, I, I, I had the pleasure of having John and Deanna out uh, in Washington in 2013, and we okay. made the rounds and and uh, said our piece. So we um, yeah, uh, we said our piece repeatedly. <laughs> <laughs> do you feel like you got somewhere doing that? You know, we do. Okay, and, good. And uh, you know, it's not always immediately uh, realizable, but over time you can see progress and you, you know the things that we're advocating for do do come to fruition and uh, for instance uh, veterans uh, have uh, now if they are diagnosed with ALS they're con considered to be 100 uh, percent disabled immediately so they don't have to go through a progression of various tests it's an immediate uh, diagnosis um, if, uh, and, and as a result of, of uh, the advocacy by the ALS Association, veterans are also receiving uh, benefits that uh, are you know, very, uh, very beneficial to them to, to help them through this, but also uh, have received money uh, that is going directly from, through Congress, to the Department of Defense for uh, direct uh, research on ALS simply because veterans, for whatever reason, are being diagnosed with ALS at a rate of generally twice the general population. That's unbelievable. Yes. Yeah. Unbelievable. We don't know why, but uh, it is recognized, and uh, so that's one of the reasons that Congress passed that legislation. Uh, there are other pieces of legislation that have uh, been uh, brought about simply through our advocacy and uh, but it's it's uh, the other part of it is care services so we have the three-legged stool of advocacy research and care services and uh, one is just as important as the other and that's how our f association is based so that we are trying to cover those important bases for all of our folks living with ALS. To answer your question Jill about there was one interaction, I don't know if you remember this, but it's etched in my brain. It was late in our rounds, and you know, normally you, you may not meet the representative or the senator, but you'll meet someone from their staff who usually is in charge of health things. And you know, I think it was our last meeting of the day, Tom, and we sat down, and I was kind of tired of telling my story, and this young man sat down with us, and I said, well, let me ask you, what do you know about ALS? And he almost got visibly white. And he began to tell a story about losing a, a high school friend of his in his 20s uh, within a year of diagnosis. So it, it was. So you never know when you tell your story who you're going to bump into right. and, 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 and where you're going to tell it. So uh, w we just keep telling our story as long as we can, uh, trying to generate as much uh, knowledge and, and contact for folks. And awareness. You know, again, Correct. you talk about how yeah, important that piece is. Absolutely. Um, people need to be to be aware. Um, the research and the care services for ALS patients is certainly important and easily understood, but how does the advocacy contribute? Well, as John said, we went out to uh, talk with our uh, congressmen and uh, senators, and uh, we do that on an annual basis. And through the ALS Association, uh, we coordinate our priorities. And so each year we'll have priorities that we're asking for that uh, are related to uh, assistance of uh, for perhaps financial assistance or research assistance for the folks uh, living with ALS and for our chapter members. 
So um, the other part, and as you just said, Jill, is awareness, so that so you know more people are aware of this disease. ALS is not like other most other diseases or the major diseases that you think of immediately if you're thinking of folks with uh, a particular ailment. We're sort of an orphan disease because we don't have large numbers of people with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unfortunately, our folks have a tendency to pass away rather quickly after Mm -hmm. diagnosis, so we don't build up large populations of, of folks living with this disease. So at any given time, and these numbers are kind of a guess you know it's an educated guess worth estimating there are probably about 30,000 people throughout the United States with that could be more could be less Uh, but in Wisconsin we take care of about 500 folks who are throughout the state of Wisconsin and uh, of course because of the nature of the disease you have folks who are unfortunately passing away but you also have new folks who are being diagnosed and they're coming in so our number do seem to be fairly consistent, although in the last couple of years have shown that they're growing. So, and that may just be because of better diagnosis. Uh, We don't know. But there is no cause and there is no cure at the present time. And support groups uh, are throughout the state? We do in have, maybe larger cities? We do have support groups. We have a couple of support groups in the Fox Valley. Okay. We have Green Bay, La Crosse, Madison, Milwaukee. So we try to hit you know, the, the population center so that folks can travel to sure. those support groups throughout the state. And those support groups meetings are extremely important for assistance in learning about equipment breathing equipment, uh, loan locker equipment that you may need, insurance issues, um, long-term care. Well, and it's it's a place to um, meet with folks who are in the same club that you're in, a club you never wanted to be in, but regardless, you're in it. And so it's tough, I think, for people to build empathy outside of the disease Uh, once, once you have it. It's nice to have someone listen who knows exactly where you're coming from. Right, yeah. Well, again, we say advocacy, awareness, that's so important. I'm sure many people are familiar with the ice bucket challenge that was so popular on social media a while back. How did that affect the fight against ALS? Well, that was a game changer for us. And okay. It was, um, you know, it was uh, like winning the lottery. <laughs> it was totally unexpected, and it just was totally organic and developed all by itself. And um, so uh, I was on the board of trustees of the National Association at that time. I also sat on the finance committee. And all of a sudden, the phone started ringing, saying, we've got millions of dollars coming in. What do we need to do with it? Wow. <laughs> and I bet, you know, how, who wants to be in that situation, right? Yeah. Everybody's <laughs> raising their hands. Wow. So, so it was totally unexpected. But, you know, certainly, you know, it was a, an absolute gift from God. We just, uh, you know, we had, to, we had to reconnoiter pretty fast to figure out, number one, where do you put it? You right, have to park right. it somewhere before you can uh, figure out what to do. Do it and come up with a plan, but ultimately uh, we ended up with 115 million dollars. Wonderful! And wow. uh, we decided that uh, you know the majority of it, of course, was going to go to research, but a lar- very large piece of it would go to care services as well. 
And uh, so, you know, it was uh, it was an absolute blessing, and uh, it has resulted in our ability to triple the amount of ALS research that we were able to do. Uh, not only throughout this country, but we also sp were able to sponsor some research projects out uh, in internationally in other countries. Wow, that is so great! Yeah, so wow. so the at this time, great. yeah, and, th and those those research projects are, are some are still going on. So we're currently sponsoring about 130 to 150 research projects, mostly in the United States, but some, as I said, internationally. Wow! And from a patient perspective, uh, it was the first time that I felt. Wow, people out there are actually doing something to support me. Yeah. Uh, so it was really reinforcing for me to see that on a national level. Yeah. You know, I had friends and family. Hey, did you see this? My my phone was was uh, blowing up. You know, so and so did this, and we're going to do it next weekend. And so, it, I from a patient perspective, it was a, a great lift to me. I bet. I bet. Well, how can people listening? get involved. You know, I talk about how there's never enough time to talk about all the different things that uh, that the ALS Association is doing and how they're helping people. But if people want to get involved, how, how what can they do? Well, obviously the organization relies on volunteers such as John and Deanna and as well as donations from folks. And uh, that's how we can survive to support our folks, our chapter members who are living with ALS. And so everyone is invited to join us on all of our uh, all of our events. We have many fundraising events. And uh, I would invite uh, everyone to simply visit our homepage uh, at alsawi.org. That's ALS Association Wisconsin. ALSAWI.org or call our office directly if you would like to know how to get involved or if you'd like to make a donation. And that phone number is 414-763-2220. Awesome. Well, Tom and John, thank you so much for being here today and for sharing your story. Thank you. Uh, thank you, you. You are welcome. I'm sure there are people listening that... Um, this was very informative and helpful for them. So we appreciate you being here today. Uh, I want to thank all my guests, Rob Malterer and uh, Susan from the National MS Society and Tom Kettler and John Jaco from the ALS Association of Wisconsin. Thank you all for educating us on MS and ALS and how people can get involved in advocacy and or volunteering and for the services you offer individuals living with these diseases. So again, thank you so much for being here today. If you'd like further information about the people or the organizations we talk to, or if you'd like to be considered as a guest on the show, you can email me at jill at ellenbecker.com, or you can call our office at 262-691-3200. You can tune in every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. to News Talk Radio, AM 1130, WISN, to listen to our show, or you can tune in via the iHeartRadio app, or you can go to iHeartRadio.com. You can also check out previously aired interviews by visiting our website at allenbecker.com, or you can now listen on demand on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or Apple Podcast. Join us again next week when we talk with other inspiring guests who will share information about how they're moving the needle regarding issues that affect our community. We hope that this will inspire you to use your passion, your talents, and your energy to get involved with a local nonprofit in our community and bless someone in some way. Find a way to be a blessing and give a blessing. Happy Sunday.